Thank you, Alicia, uh, for those announcements. I do encourage all of you that uh, find yourself in a position like what Alicia was describing, uh, or if you're just interested in finding out more, uh, to explore uh, this conference. We're really excited about it, and we, uh, we hope many of you will choose to attend. Well, my name is Paul Brandis, and uh, I have the deep honor and privilege of serving uh, this, the Brookside Campus of Christ Community Church, as an associate pastor. Uh, And I am so glad that each and every one of you is here this morning, Uh, particularly if this is uh, one of your first times with us. Uh, Maybe it's your very first time. Maybe you've been a a few times. Maybe you haven't been to church in a really long time. And and I know, and the rest of our staff knows, how hard that is uh, to do what you did this morning and walk in the doors of a church. So we're super glad you're here. Uh, Before we open God's word and examine it, uh, we need his help with that. And so I'd like uh, to pray and I'd invite you to bow your heads and, and join me. Prepare our hearts, O God, to hear your word and obey your will. We believe in you. Help our unbelief. Amen. Well, right now, at the top of my playlist is a song called Stressed Out by 21 Pilots. And it's not just at the top of my playlist either. It's been on the top 100 list for 20 consecutive weeks, and currently it's sitting at number four. And yeah, it's a really catchy song, but I think the reason why this song is so popular is because the lyrics are so relatable. Seriously, listening to Stressed Out makes me feel like the guys from 21 Pilots are in my head, which is kind of creepy. But seriously, it's so relatable. Like the good old days when our mamas sang us to sleep. It's about longing for childhood or, or really just longing for when days used to be simpler. Let's watch part of the music video. I was told when I get older, my fears would shrink, but now I'm insecure and I care what people think. Wish we could turn back time, but now we're stressed out. Can't we all relate to that? Stress and worry, two universal human problems. What am I stressed out about? I think the better question is what aren't I stressed out about? Bevan, my son, and whether or not Ashley and I will raise him well. This church, and whether or not myself and the rest of the staff are are doing right by you and by God. And money. Oh yeah, money. Bill talked about that last week. We're ruled by what we love. Where our treasure is, there goes our heart. Money is something we all worry about, isn't it? No wonder then that Jesus transitions from talking about money right into talking about worry. If you're older, you're thinking, will I have enough for retirement? Am I managing my money well? If you're younger, it's will I be able to afford college? Do we have enough to afford this down payment? This is why Stressed Out had the line, wake up, you need to make the money. And Jesus is teaching from The passage last week made it seem so much more difficult, didn't it? Jesus says, don't store up your treasures on earth. Don't hoard. Don't spend it all on yourself. In fact, give away until it hurts. But don't worry, it'll be fine. Really, Jesus? And yet, Jesus' words grab me. I want what Jesus is offering in these verses. No, we can't go back to the good old days. 
But can we find any relief from the worries that crush us? Jesus' answer to that question is a resounding yes, but not in the way that you might think. Let's take a look at this morning's passage. We're we're still in the book of Matthew, still studying Jesus' famous sermon. Today's passage is Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. It's found on pages 811 and 812 in the Pew Bible. You can turn to it there or you can find it uh, on your phones or if you brought your Bible this morning. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Hear the words of Jesus, his teaching on stress and worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Here is Jesus' foundational point in these verses. When it comes to worry... Seek more, not less. Seek more, not less. Now, I I don't mean seek more worry, because that wouldn't make any sense. No, I'm talking about leaving worry behind and seeking something altogether different. Seeking the better way that Jesus offers us. And we have to remember this morning that when it comes to worry and anxiety, we're all wired differently. And I want to make sure you hear me say right up front that it's not wrong in any way to seek out professional help for anxiety. Some of us may need medication and counseling, and Jesus isn't against that in these verses, and we here at Christ Community aren't either. We 100% affirm the vocation and calling of counselors and psychologists who help people with their anxiety, among other mental illnesses. But we do want to take seriously Jesus' teaching about worry. Because for all of us, there is a better way. There is hope. When it comes to worry, seek more, not less. There's three broad topics that we're going to cover today within this passage. Number one, why worry doesn't work. Number two, why seeking more does And number three, 
what to do in the meantime. So first, why worry doesn't work. And here we find that Jesus' reasons are pretty straightforward. As is often the case with Jesus, he's easy to understand but hard to live out what he says. To start with, I want to jump to the end of this passage because Jesus gets incredibly practical. Look with me again at verse 34. Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Why doesn't worry work? Reason number one, life is too much. Life is too much. I'm so thankful that Jesus includes this reason because the world's a mess, isn't it? Nowhere does Jesus minimize that. You'll never find Jesus saying, oh, just suck it up. Life's not that hard. In fact, Jesus calls it like it is. He puts it so bluntly in these verses, doesn't he? Basically, he says, stay focused on today because tomorrow is probably going to be worse anyway. Thanks, Jesus. You're the best. Oh, and and just an aside here. uh, This sermon's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Still, I'm glad that Jesus includes this reason. Because he's a realist and because he speaks into and acknowledges the pain that you and I experience. Every other worldview, both secular and religious, ends up trivializing pain. Either because suffering is meaningless if there is no God, or if there is a God, then he's either absent or mean. But that's not this story. And that's not our God. And no, that doesn't fix the brokenness. It doesn't make it all go away. But isn't it a relief to know that we don't have to pretend? Isn't it a relief to know That we have a God who understands, a God who in the person of Jesus actually experienced the pain that you and I go through? Day after day, we face trouble. And the difficult fact that we have to get our minds around is that trouble is not going to go away. It's not going to disappear once you finish that project or the kids get older or you feel healthier or you get that promotion. There will be more to worry about tomorrow. And here's the thing. Jesus says that your worry is somewhat valid. Remember, there's tons of brokenness around us in the world and each, inside each one of us too. And you have to hear me say as well this morning that not worrying about tomorrow doesn't mean not planning for tomorrow. It doesn't mean don't think about the future Not worrying about tomorrow means not obsessing over it. There are real things to worry about in this life. The problem is our worry just doesn't work. Life is too much. The second reason our worry doesn't work is that no matter what, we're still going to die. Told you it was going to get worse. But you can't blame me. Look back at verse 27. These are Jesus' words. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, of course, Jesus knows that some worry is good. Some worry adds to our lives. Like 
For instance, if you visit the Grand Canyon with your kids and, and you worry about them getting a little bit too close to the edge, right? That's good worry. That's just good concern. It, it adds to our lives. It adds to our kids' lives. Good concern pushes us to think about others. It encourages prudence, responsibility, planning, and carefulness. These are all good things. But too much concern and worry morphs into sinful anxiety. And we feel that line in our hearts, don't we? That's what Jesus is addressing here. And in his point in verse 27, it's incredibly sobering, but it's spot on. No amount of hand-wringing or sinful anxiety can add a single hour to any of our lives. Friends, our days are numbered. And of course, we should strive to live healthy lives and we should take care of our bodies. Yes, that's not what Jesus is coming after in these verses. No, he's coming after our obsession with the what-ifs with the immediate, with control, and with constant self-protection above everything else. Look at it like this, Jesus says. You can worry about food, money, or how the coming election will turn out. You can worry about becoming ill or about how your kids will end up. You name it. But even if you get everything exactly as you want it, it won't add even an hour to your life. No matter what, we're still going to die. Worry just doesn't work. The third reason why worry doesn't work is that God is a better God. Listen, God is better at doing his job than we are at doing his job. But that doesn't stop us from trying, does it? Ultimately, worry is an attempt to be our own God. Worry gets up in the morning and says, if I don't, it won't. If I don't, it won't. Worry is trying to chart our own course, solve our own problems, and do it all without any outside help. So let me ask you, how's that going for you? What's your track record like? The simple truth is that God is better at being God than we are. Consider the birds and the flowers. It's interesting that Jesus goes there, right? I mean, it seems a bit random. But really think about it for a moment. There are nearly 10,000 species of birds with a population of almost 400 billion on the earth right now. 400 billion. And later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus says that God knows when even one sparrow falls to the ground. 400 billion birds and God's got every single one of them. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Or flowers. There are perhaps as many as 400,000 different varieties. Uh, a few years ago, I went backpacking in Rocky Mountain National Park. The beauty of the flowers in the fields was overwhelming. Thousands of them. And no human takes care of them. No one plants, waters, or feeds them. Only God. And yet they're thriving. 
Verses 28 through 30. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If God is that good of taking care of the birds and the flowers, how much more will he take care of me, of you, O us of little faith? Consider the birds, consider the flowers. But we already know this, don't we? And yet, we still worry a lot. So what's the alternative? What does Jesus present as the better way forward? Well, remember, it's about seeking more, not less. But there's still a question there, right? What does seeking more look like? And why does it work? Why does seeking more work? Well, again, look back with me at the passage, starting in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I love how Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, The Message, renders verse 33. He writes this. He says, Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. I love that. Steep your life in God reality. In other words, try to see the world the way God sees it. Because that's part of worry, isn't it? We're out here trying to solve all of our own problems with no outside help, and we don't even see the world properly. Our view of what's really going on is incredibly limited, which is the understatement of the year. Jesus' kingdom is about seeing the world differently. It's about a kingdom. It's a kingdom that begins now and will never end. Seek that, Jesus says. Give your life and your energy there, and everything else is going to fall into place. You see, worry seeks after a million lesser things, but they seem huge to us, and they really do, don't they? Our health feels like everything. We love our kids more than air, our jobs, our friends. These 80 to 90 years feel like the whole world, don't they? And don't get me wrong, those are really, really important things. But when we aim our lives at them, they end up falling short. They end up being less. Did anyone catch Jim Carrey at the Golden Globes this year? It was his first public appearance after his girlfriend's suicide. Listen to the nervous laughter in the room as Carrie articulates how empty these things we live for really are. We think they're so huge, but the truth is we're enamored with less. Let's watch. Then I'll know I'm enough, Carrie says, and I can stop this terrible search for what I know won't ultimately fulfill me. What are you searching for that won't ultimately fulfill you? 
Maybe success at work. Maybe the perfect guy or the perfect girl. Money. What are you seeking after that in comparison to the more of Jesus' kingdom is less? You see, all of our worries feel huge. And, and to some extent, Jesus does validate our worries, but they're still less. And as long as we seek that which is less, we're going to worry. Because you see, the beautiful truth is that you and I, we were not built for less. We were designed for so much more. So seek Jesus' kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Now, Jesus isn't saying that everything is going to work out perfectly for us just like we want it. Even while seeking Jesus' kingdom, you might still get cancer, lose your job, or feel isolated or alone. In fact, Jesus tells us himself that the trouble is going to come. Trouble is a fact of life. But if you are truly seeking after God's kingdom first, then you'll be able to weather those storms because Jesus and his kingdom are more. You see, this coming kingdom is where all the good in our lives will be upheld, celebrated, and maintained. This coming kingdom is where all the bad will one day be redeemed. It's where every failure, disappointment, and loss will be made right. And get this, this coming kingdom is the place where the best is yet to come. If that's where your heart lives, then what's the worst that can happen to you? Author C.S. Lewis wrote, He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. You know, I've heard that quote restated this way. To have Jesus and nothing else is to have everything. Church, this morning, listen to Jesus. Seek more, not less. Seek his kingdom. Well, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, Paul, so worry doesn't work. I need to seek more, not less. But how do I do that? What does it look like? Well, that brings us to our third and final topic. Great question. Thanks for asking. Our third topic this morning, what to do in the meantime. Because like Jesus, we need to be honest. We're not going to live 100% worry-free lives. But we can't stop there either. How can we practically seek God's kingdom so that we worry less? And let me mention three things here. First, what to do in the meantime. Slow down. Slow down. And I'll be really open and transparent with you this morning. I am beyond terrible at this. Ask anyone who knows me even a little bit. I am the worst at slowing down. For me, when worry hits, my tendency is to speed up, not slow down. I try to do more on my own. I try to write more lists, work more hours, and try harder. Frankly, too often I'm so busy trying to save the world and fix my own problems that I completely forget to seek God's kingdom. And that's why for me, and, and I'm guessing for you too, the spiritual discipline of rest is so important. Remember, a spiritual discipline is simply a practice that allows us to do what we cannot do on our own. 
And on my own, I cannot slow down. So I desperately need the discipline of rest, the discipline of handing everything over to God and saying, I could try to do more. I could always try to do more, but I'm not going to. There's this fascinating little word right in the middle of our passage. In verse 28, where Jesus is talking about the lilies of the field, he says that they do not toil. Toil. Doesn't that so perfectly describe what it feels like when we try to work our way out of worry? It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 11 when he invites all who toil and are heavy laden into his yoke to find rest. Are you trying to work your way out of worry? Stop. Accept Jesus' invitation and run to him to find rest. For me, slowing down looks like trying my best to hold one full day a week without any work. I'm not batting a thousand on that. You can ask Ashley. (laughs) But I'm trying. For me, slowing down looks like pausing my email so that it only dumps into my inbox a few times a day. I just started that practice this week because I realized how desperately I needed it. When my email is just pouring in, I trick myself into thinking that responding to everything immediately means that I'm somehow on top of stuff. It's the complete embodiment of seeking less, not more. What does slowing down look like for you? Or what should it look like? You're probably thinking that if you slow down, you might have more to worry about because then you'll have gotten less done. You might be right. But I, for one, am sick of the treadmill of less. I'm ready for more. I'm ready to try it Jesus' way. I'm ready to slow down, not speed up. Second, we need to ask for it. Ask for it. If we're going to seek God's kingdom, then we have to ask for it. This is a point that Jesus makes in the next chapter of Matthew, still in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, Jesus, he's talking about prayer, and this is what he says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, and knock, Jesus says. And because God is a good father, he's going to give bread and not stones. Now, these verses need a bit of explanation, don't they? Because at first glance, it's like, where do I sign for that? Ask for anything I want and I get it? I'm in. I'm in. But Jesus isn't talking about asking for and receiving the material desires of our heart or the affections of this girl or that guy or the perfect promotion, or the best work assignment. That's not what he's addressing here. And, and this is really tough, Jesus also isn't addressing or talking about asking for and receiving our requests for how we think the world should work. Because that's where these verses really sting, isn't it? At some point in our lives, we've all prayed things like these before. I asked that my friend would be healed from cancer and it didn't happen. I prayed that my parents wouldn't get divorced. I've been seeking in prayer the end of abortion for years. Why isn't God answering my requests? 
And listen, this morning, I'm not going to pretend to have the answers to those questions. Those are real things, and I can't wrap them up in a neat little bow. I'm not even going to try. Instead, I simply want to invite all of us to rest in the fact that these verses ultimately sit under the umbrella of God's kingdom. Remember, our vantage point of the world is laughably limited. We can't see what God sees. Pastor Tim Keller explains these verses in Matthew 7 this way. He writes, God gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. God gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. And then again, that does not solve the tension that we feel here. I know that. And if this is something that you're really struggling with, I or any of our pastors would love to sit down and discuss it with you. Just let us know. But hopefully, Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 7 gives us confidence to approach God in prayer and to keep asking for it, to keep asking for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can we pray that this morning? Because that's part of it with worry, isn't it? When it comes to what to do in the meantime about worry, we've got to approach God and ask for it. Get on your knees and say, God, help me worry less. Ask for it. Third and finally, run to the better master. Run to the better master. If this sounds familiar, it's because it was Bill's final point last week. And that's really intentional because all of these verses in this chapter 6, they sit together. Remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. This is one coherent message that Jesus is giving. And so I wanted to end my sermon where Bill did last week. The master language comes from verse 24 where Jesus says to us so clearly, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. And that makes sense, doesn't it? You can't serve two masters. You have to choose one. And my hope, and I, and I know Bill's hope, is in these last two weeks that you've been compelled to run to the better master, run to Jesus. Your money is a great servant, but it's a horrible master. Worry is less. Jesus and his kingdom are more. And maybe this sounds simplistic to you. Really, Paul, run to the better master? But here's the thing. This week... I was really, really worried about this sermon. It's the irony of all ironies, isn't it? Meanwhile, Jesus is holding the entire universe together in his hands. I'm worried about my health, but Jesus designed every molecule in my body. I'm stressed about money, but literally every penny is his anyway. I have to suppress how worried I am right now about politics. But oh, by the way, did you catch the sunrise that Jesus orchestrated this morning? And the birds. Your heavenly father feeds them. My dad feeds 400 billion birds. He cares even for them. Are we not worth more than a bird? Because friends, as we seek this kingdom, we're not just subjects. We're not just subjects. We're sons and we're daughters of the king. But I don't always believe that. 
always, always, always at the root of my worry is, is unbelief. As you peel back the layers and get to the core, when I'm worrying, it's because I'm not trusting in God. Oh, me of little faith. When I find myself consumed with worry, even when it's about legitimate stuff, it's because I've lost sight of Jesus' kingdom. I don't believe it, or I don't believe it's worth it, or I've just forgotten about it. But regardless, I worry when I begin to doubt God. Maybe you're with me this morning. Maybe you're worrying because you're doubting God's wisdom. He doesn't really know what's best for me. Or maybe you're doubting God's power. He really can't do anything to solve my problems. Or maybe you're doubting God's love. He just doesn't care enough to intervene. If that's you and, and I'm right there with you, then I invite you to look at Jesus with me. Because Jesus is the wisdom of God showing us the best way to live and inviting us into his plan of salvation. Jesus is power incarnate, God in the flesh, come to defeat death, sin, and hell. And Jesus is love, isn't he? For he came gladly, willingly. In 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Church, what do we lack? Jesus tells us to seek more, not less. He urges us to seek his kingdom and to run to him. But the mind-blowing truth is that actually, Jesus is the one who is seeking after you. How will you respond? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to seek more, not less. I pray, Father, that we would worry less, and that as we battle worry, you would help us to slow down that you would help us to ask for it and approach you in prayer, and that always, 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 we would run to the better master, your son Jesus, who was sent to fill in the gaps. So thankful for him. I want to close this morning, God, by reciting just verse 6 in Psalm 23, which promises us that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in your house forever. Amen.